We're continuing our journey through the Calvary Chapel distinctives. We come up to the seventh distinctive, which is the priority of the word. And this really is one of my favorite distinctives. Uh, since a young age, my favorite teachings were teachings when the pastor taught God's word and expounded on God's word by using God's word. Oftentimes when different guest speakers come to the church, I will take note, right, within my mind, did they teach the word and did they expound on the word? Or was it just story after story after story? Chuck Smith, in this chapter, he says, another primary distinctive of Calvary Chapel is our endeavor to declare to people the whole counsel of God. You're there in Acts chapter 20, and in verse 26 and 27, Paul is here. It's a tear-felt uh, goodbye and separation here with the church of Ephesus and with the Ephesians elders. And he tells them in verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Chuck continues in this quote, he says, Now, how is it possible for a person to claim to have declared the whole counsel of God? The only way a person could make that claim to his congregation would be if he taught through the whole word of God with them, from Genesis to Revelation. Now, once you've taken your congregation through the Bible, then you can say to them, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. I hope to be able to say that one day. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 13, a key scripture here for Calvary Chapel, they're mocking Isaiah, but it says in Isaiah 28, verse 13, the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. And this is probably the biggest distinctive of a Calvary Chapel and Calvary Chapel as a movement that each pastor is going through the Word of God precept upon precept, line upon line, verse upon verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. It's not just a pastor pulling out his own agenda or his own ideas or the topics that he wants to teach on, but we as pastors are to teach in an expositional fashion. That word exposition, it means setting forth or giving an explanation. And that's the teaching style that Calvary Chapel pastors are to have. We are preaching the explanation of the text itself. We are reading God's word, explaining God's word, and then giving application for each portion of scripture that we're in. We are not pulling out of the text the meaning that God says. This is what we're doing. We are pulling out of the text the meaning. We're explaining the meaning of the text. A pastor should not be imposing into the text his ideas or his concepts. That's taking things out of context, right? And now we're getting our own ideas, our own concepts, and we're squishing them into scriptures to fit our own agendas. We are teaching the Bible, not just teaching from the Bible. I think we've been there. We hear a Bible study. It's not really a Bible study. They'll say one verse at the beginning. That's sort of the springboard. And then the rest is all their ideas, analogies, and jokes, and funny things like that. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we should turn there. Very important portion of Scripture. And throughout history, the Bible gets attacked by unbelievers all throughout history. But it's sad when the Bible gets attacked by so-called believers. And even today, there are some people that say Paul's writings don't, be- don't belong in the Bible. And whenever you come into contact with a believer that wants to take certain books out of the Bible, maybe it's Jude, maybe it's some of Paul's epistles, different things like that, the key question you should ask them is, what sin is it that you don't want in the Bible? Because normally that's why they want to rip a certain book or a certain author out of the Bible. They don't like that he's declaring their lifestyle or their life choices or the thing they love, sin or idolatry. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it tells us all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That word all in the Greek means what? It means all. So the whole entire Bible has been given by the inspiration of God. That is literally, it's been breathed out by God himself. Then it tells us all scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So all of scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And all of scripture is given for our profit. It's a blessing to us. It's a plus addition. We're in the green when we're in God's word. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's word is powerful. It's powerful and it's sharp. If you've ever dealt with a blade before, a blade that can cut through meat is one thing. But to cut through joints and marrow and bone, that is a sharp weapon. I went through a stage where I was uh, binging on the TV show Forged in Fire. And Amanda made fun of me for it. But I enjoyed the show thoroughly. Especially at the end, they would test out the different weapons or the different things that they would cut. And at the end, the guy would say, it will cut or it will kill if it was actually good or not, right? But most of the weapons were not able to cut because they were not sharp enough or they were too dull or they would break or they were brittle. But here, the author of Hebrews, a lot of people believe it's Paul. He's saying that God's word is so powerful that it's able to pierce and divide our soul and spirit, and it's even able to divide our thoughts and the intents of our heart. You see, the Word of God is the most powerful tool that a disciple of Jesus has, and it's the very breath of God. It's the very Word of God, and if it's alive, if it's powerful, if it has the ability to pierce to even our soul and spirit and able to give us discernment into our thoughts and intentions, Why would we want to go anywhere else? Why would we want to go anywhere else? Why are we so quick to run to the internet for help? Run to this person or that person, this famous celebrity, and we want to get help and answers from them when we have the very breath of God here. We have the only thing that can cut us and reveal to us, Zach, this is why you're doing this. You're not doing this because you love those people. You're doing this because you want to be seen by people. 
Zach, why are you doing this? You're doing this not because it's, it's a, a crutch or something that's happened in your past. You're doing this because you love this sin. Only the Word of God can do that. Adam Clark, he says, False doctrine cannot prevail long where the sacred scriptures are read and studied. Error prevails only where the book of God is withheld from the people. The religion that fears the Bible is not the religion of God. Again, we should hold dear to the Word of God. It protects us. Again, it's all inspired by God Himself, and the entire Word is profitable. That's why it's my desire one day to be able to say, like Paul, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Bill Gallatin, oftentimes before he starts a Bible study, he'll say that this book is God's CAT scan. And if you want to know who God is, you got to read from Genesis to Revelation over and over and over again. And this mindset Chuck Smith ran into after pastoring different churches and being a part of different denominations. And he came to this conclusion to read God's Word and to study God's Word and to preach God's Word verse by verse and chapter by chapter. But he wasn't the first pastor to come to this conclusion, not in our lifetime or his lifetime or even before that. We already read Isaiah, how they mocked him for reading precept upon precept. But look how how Jesus teaches the disciples in Luke 24. We could turn to Luke 24. And we know that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We'll look at that scripture later on. But the word himself, the way he teaches the word is expounding on it. Luke 24. Verse 27. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded... To them in all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. He explains to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then you jump down to verse 44 and 45. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. This is the goal of a good teacher, is to read the word of God to his audience, expound on the scriptures so that hopefully their understanding would be opened and they'd be able to comprehend the scriptures in an easier way. Jesus, he expounds on all the scriptures from Moses and the law to the prophets and the Psalms, and he's able to reveal himself to the disciples and to the people. Right? This is a Bible study we all wish we could get uh, the tape, the CD, the MP3, the video, right? We all wish we could listen to Jesus' Bible study. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, it tells us, So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave sense and helped them to understand the reading. Again, expositional teaching. You read from the book, you read from the law of God, And then we try to help understanding the reading. We try to give sense to the Word of God. This is what God's design is for teaching His own Word. We can jump all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. 
After we finish the Calvary Distinctives, we'll be going back to Deuteronomy. But Deuteronomy 31 Deuteronomy 31, verse 9, it tells us, So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, In the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. Again, God's plan was that at least every seven years, the entire nation of Israel was receiving the entire law of God. And again, there's certain parts of the law of God that are just plain weird and don't make sense to us, right? Some of us remember those weird chapters, right? The red dot, white dot, white hair, black hair, right? And leprosy and all different things like that. And yet God tells the Levites, hey, you need to read all of the word of God to man, woman, child, and immigrant so that they would know my word. And this was the purpose and the command for the Levites. Read all of the word of God so that all of Israel... The men, the women, the children, the elders, and even strangers and immigrants would be able to hear his word, fear the God of the word, and carefully observe all the words of the law. And God's word still does that to us today. The more we hear God's word, the more we should fear and respect the God of the word. That's what God's Word does within our hearts. It causes us to fear and respect God more and more. And then as we hear His Word, we should also be more prone to carefully observe all the words of the law. That if we truly respect Him, and we respect Him, we respect His power, we respect His love, His grace, and His mercy towards our lives, then what we hear He says is right and wrong, we should want to be more careful to observe and be obedient to Him. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 9 through 11, God commands them, God commands the Levites, He tells them, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses." The reason that God commanded the Levites to stay away from intoxicating drink was so that they would be able to distinguish clearly and to teach clearly. This was the role for the Levites since the beginning. 
In Hosea chapter 4, God brings a lawsuit against the children of Israel, right? Let's turn to Hosea chapter 4, right there in the middle of your Bibles, one of the minor prophets. You may have to go back to the beginning to find out where it's at. Don't worry. No shame. But here God brings a lawsuit against the nation of Israel. He literally says, hey, I'm going to take you to court, and what you've done is wrong, and I'm going to tell you why what you've done is wrong and not consistent with what my commands and demands are for you. There in Hosea, I forgot to turn there myself, after the book of Daniel. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with the bloodshed upon bloodshed. Right? Sounds familiar to us, even these last two verses? Our own nation, the way it's been the past few years, the past few decades, it's all because there is no knowledge of God in the land. Verse 3, Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beast of the field and with the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Now let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priests. Therefore you shall stumble in the day, the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children also. Again, what was the knowledge lacking here for the Israelites? Was it encyclopedias? Was it YouTube, right? Was it the internet? That's not the lack of knowledge that God is talking about. The lack of knowledge is the word of God. And there's no doubt that this charge, this being brought to court, would not happen with many churches today. That God would tell them, hey, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you, as priests, as pastors, as church leaders, have forgotten the law of our God. Again, have we forgotten that law? Perhaps you get called to a different city, called to a different state, a new pastor comes here. Make sure the church is all about the Word of God. Got to make sure it's about the Word of God. Alexander Pope, a famous writer, once wrote, Know then thyself... Presume not God to scan. The proper study of mankind is man. But then later on, an even more famous writer, Charles Spurgeon, responded to Pope's statement. It has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name 
the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. How well do you know the Word of God? How well do you know the Word of God against football stats, right, or, or baseball stats? How well do you know the Word of God with the, the gossip circle going on today? How well do you know the Word of God versus the Marvel movies out? Or whatever, whatever your niche is, the thing that you know most. If someone was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, they would call you on phone a friend for that subject, right? How much do you know of that subject versus your knowledge and study of God? There is nothing more important for the children of God than to study God himself. And just as there's nothing more important for the child of God to study God himself, there's nothing more important for a church than to teach the word of God. If it's the most important and most crucial thing for the life of a believer, how dare a church think there's something else that's going to be better for the life of the church and the people within the church? We cannot forget the law of our God. We must stay the course and keep the word at the center of our churches. We must. This is the only way that we're going to survive and continue to be plugged in to God and to his word. Notice in Psalm 138 verse 1 and 2, it's a psalm of David. And David says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will, praise, I will sing praises to you. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. God himself, he magnifies his word above his own name. We can think of John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. It's all about the word. To God, the most important thing is the word. So how much more for the church and for us as individuals should the word be our priority? This whole life is about getting to know Jesus Christ and about getting to know God the Father. And the only way to get to know them is by going through the word of God. That's the only way. We don't get to know him through our feelings or our emotions. We don't get to know him just going out in the ocean, right? People will say that all the time. Oh, church, your church is at Calvary, Miami on Sunday. Church for me is out on the boat, right? Out fishing on a Sunday morning. No, the way we get to know God is by going through his word. A couple more people that would preach God's word once again here in Mark chapter 2 verse 2. It says, immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer a room to perceive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Who do you think this is speaking about? It's Jesus. Jesus, he has an opportunity so that there's so many people they couldn't even fit in the house. Does he take the opportunity to start telling them jokes? Does he take the opportunity to start entertaining them? No, he takes the opportunity to preach the word to them. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, a difficult season for the church at large. Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it tells us, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. 
entering into every house and dragging off the men and women, committing them to prison. So how does the church react? Do they hide? Do they go into hiding? Do they start new uh, social work and different things like that? Do they try to meet with Saul and they try to get Saul and his team to agree with them and to like them? It tells us in verse 4, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. This is our response, is to preach the word. It's all over Acts. We could spend the rest of tonight. It's in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 15. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, they preach the word. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, they preach the word. Even Jesus, he tells us in Luke chapter 8 verse 11, one of the most important parables, right? The parable of the sower and the seed. He says in order to understand all the parables, we need to understand the parable of the sower and the seed. And the seed is what? The Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. And again, it's so sad to see so many churches that are not teaching the Word of God. Right after COVID, we opened up pretty quickly. And there were lots of people from other churches that started coming to our church. And one of the things that we heard over and over and over again is... Why did my church not study and teach God's word like this? Why did my church not teach God's word like this? Why did my church not teach God's word like this? It's sad. It's terrible. I wish that all over Miami, there were all the churches, all of them were teaching through God's word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and teaching expositionally. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it tells us, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower fails away, but the word of the Lord endures forever." Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Again, the word has to be the priority of a church. It's God's word taking root in our hearts and lives. That's what gives us new life. That's what makes us a new creation. Jesus coming into our lives and we accepting him as our Lord and Savior by faith. It's the word of God that does this. It's the word that saves us, and it's the word of God which will endure forever. And the gospel gets preached through the word of God. We have to keep the word of God at the center of our focus. How dare we allow anything but the word of God to be the main reason we choose to attend a church or to not attend a church? Hey, I like good coffee, probably more than most of the people in here. But that shouldn't be the reason why you go to a church or don't go to a church. Right? The, the youth group, the children's ministry, the building, the programs, whatever the case may be, it should always be centered on the Word of God. It's His Word that's inspired by God. It's His Word that's profitable. His Word is living. His Word is powerful. His Word pierces to the division of soul and spirit. His Word discerns our thoughts and our intentions of our heart. His word teaches us to fear God. 
His word helps us to carefully observe his laws. His word is magnified above his name. His word is what makes us born again. His word is what will endure forever. His word is what was in the beginning with God. It's his word that made all things and without it nothing was made. And it's through his word that the gospel is preached. Are you in God's word? Are you reading God's word on a daily basis? It's, it's on me to teach God's word and it's on me personally to read God's word and to share God's word and to wash my wife and my family with the word of God. But are you reading the word of God? If you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with anxiety, with depression, if you're struggling with making a decision, if you're going through absolutely any difficulty, are you reading the word of God? If life has never been better... If you're dancing everywhere you go and you start singing and birds start landing on your shoulders, are you reading God's word or are you leaving it behind? We could look at Paul's final letters to his son in the faith, Timothy. We can go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll look at 1 Timothy 4, and then we'll look at 2 Timothy 4. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come Give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. What do you think Paul meant by giving attention to reading? What do you think Paul wanted Timothy to be reading? Chicken noodle soup for the soul, right? His Instagram stories, blog posts, different things. No, the Word of God. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Look at how powerful verse 15 and 16 are. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Take heed to yourself. Look at yourself. Look at the way you're walking and living. And now look at the word of God. Do the two line up. Because if you do this, if you continue doing this, it's going to protect yourself. And it's going to protect those that hear you and that are around you. Now we go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And now this is Paul's last letter. Paul is basically, he's not on his deathbed, but he knows he's about to be executed. It's Paul's swan song to his son in the faith, one of the few people that did not desert Paul. And look what he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He's bringing Timothy to account. He's saying, look at these other, these other important people. I'm going to bring them into this room as I'm giving you a charge and a command. I'm going to bring Jesus here. I'm going to bring God here. Remember, they're going to judge the living and the dead. Now here's the command, Timothy, verse 2. Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Preaching the Word of God. Genesis to Revelation is the most important thing for any pastor. That's why in Acts, right, they have to find other men to help serve because they say we don't want to neglect the word and prayer. We need to find other people to help within the church and the household of God. And here Paul is charging Timothy, preach the word. Don't preach your hobby horse. Don't preach what people want to hear. Don't preach what's going on. Preach the word. Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Timothy was living in this day and age. We're living in this day and age where people, they can't endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine to them is hateful, right? Sound doctrine to them is closed-minded. Sound doctrine to them, it's not loving your neighbor as yourself and their twisted form of loving your neighbor as yourself. They heap up for themselves their own churches and their own pastors that teach what they want them to teach according to their own desires. So what are a few reasons why verse by verse is the best way to go through God's word. Lots of reasons. One of them, all of it is inspired by God and profitable. And if all of it is inspired by God, if all of it is profitable, then we should go through all of it. From Genesis to Revelation, we should read and go through and teach through all of God's word. Another reason why verse by verse is best is it keeps a pastor from only focusing on the parts that he likes. It keeps a pastor from only teaching on tithing and why you should be giving to the church, right? It protects a pastor from only teaching on serving and why you should be serving at the church. It keeps the pastor from only focusing on the parts he likes. What's the next reason why verse by verse is best? It keeps a pastor from not focusing on the parts that he doesn't like. If the pastor wants to stay away from First and Second Timothy and the standards for him and the leadership, he can't. Because sooner or later, he has to get to that portion of Scripture. Forgiving one another. If the pastor doesn't like that, he can just skip those parts out, right? Talking about grace, about kindness, about mercy. It keeps a pastor from not focusing on the parts that he doesn't like. It protects pastors from their hobby horses and rabbit trails. Although, for honest, if they really want to go down those roads, they will go down those roads, right? But it protects us. One of the things that happened during COVID is some pastors lost their focus of teaching the whole word of God and they started garnering people by jumping onto certain hobby horses. But the problem is once you go down that road, the only way you're going to keep those people there is by continuing to go down that road every Sunday and every Wednesday and every Sunday and every Wednesday. Another reason why going through verse by verse is best is that it allows the Holy Spirit to touch on subjects people are dealing with that the pastor may not know about. There are certain things you're going through in life that I would probably never think or imagine, but as we're going through God's Word verse by verse and chapter by chapter, certain topics come up that I would think, man, no one's really struggling with this, but here we go, Lord. In listening to the Calvary Distinctives 2.0 podcast, 
It's each distinctive in 20 to 30 minutes. The guys from CC Philly talk about how they were talking about the laws and the dietary laws and how Jesus has freed us from the dietary laws. And this was in youth group. Again, there's certain youth group topics like, why are we going to teach this to 6th and 7th graders, right? Hey, you're allowed to eat pork now. Don't worry. But as they were teaching all this subject, one of the kids came up for prayer afterwards because their family was forcing them to abide by the dietary laws. So a portion of scripture that we would think, oh, this has to deal with no one, was able to touch someone that that's exactly what they were going through because the pastor was submitted to going through God's word even when it fully didn't make sense. Because all of scripture is profitable and all of scripture is breathed out by God himself. Another reason by verse by verse is best is that it allows the pastor to hit topics hard without people thinking that he's picking on them. I can just go through scripture and if the topic's there, I could hit it honestly, truthfully, and biblically. And you can't look at your wife and say, did you tell him what we went through this week? You may still do that, but that's between you and the Lord, right? I'm just being obedient to just go through God's word. And as we go through God's word, it's not because I heard this, that, or the third. That's why I try not to do counseling meetings because I want to be able to teach God's word without you saying, oh, he's bringing that up because I asked him for prayer for this, that, or the third. So it allows pastors to hit topics honestly and biblically without people thinking that he's picking on them. Finally, and there's a bunch of other reasons, it keeps a pastor and really it keeps a church from getting caught up on the latest Christian trends. In listening to the podcast, it's so true that Calvary Chapel has been protected from a lot of the different waves of doctrine that have passed through the church the past 30 years. And one of the main reasons with that is every wave that passes through Christendom has to close its eyes towards certain scriptures. And if you know sooner or later you're going to hit that subject on how female pastors is not biblical, it's going to keep your church from having a female pastor. If you're going to go through a scripture where it talks about people should give willingly and not grudgingly, it's going to keep the pastors from putting up thermometers or putting pressure on the people to tithe. So if we're going to go through all of God's word, it protects us from the different waves that come in and out of Christendom. It's important for us to know that we're to handle this with grace, mercy, and truth. The only gospel we should be preaching and teaching is that Jesus came and died for our sins. Not teaching the gospel of verse by verse and chapter by chapter, right? Let's not look to convert the converted. Let them be. Verse by verse and expositional teaching is not the only way. If you have a time constraint with someone, that's not the time to say, hey, let me read the word of God to you. Genesis 1-1, right? And start going from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Someone has five minutes before they pass away. Let me share the gospel to you. Genesis chapter 1. Let's go verse by verse, chapter by chapter here. The guy's going to be long dead before you get to chapter 3, right? Not the time or purpose. If you have one hour, if you have one conference, if you have a specific topic, that may not be the time to go through an expositional or verse-by-verse teaching. That's one of the special things about Calvary Chapel is that a pastor more than likely is going to be at a church for 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Where within other denominations, the pastor is switching every two years. I don't know how they do that. But literally every two years, they're moving to a different church or a different city and a different church and a different city. So it's hard to go through all of God's word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, if you're only with a group of people 
for two years, 52 weeks out of the year. We should also know that there are some amazing pastors that did not teach verse by verse or expositionally. One of my favorite pastors, Charles Spurgeon, he did not teach expositionally. He did not teach verse by verse. Do I wish that he had so I could steal his notes? Absolutely. But that's not the way he taught. D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, absolutely incredible pastors and teachers. But this is not the way they taught. So let's not go off on a hobby horse, right? Or down a rabbit trail trying to preach the gospel of verse by verse or expositional teaching. Do we believe it's best? Absolutely. Do we believe it's the only way? Absolutely not. One last thing that Chuck touched on, which is so important for us, important reminder for me as a pastor, important reminder for you maybe as a parent or as a new believer, maybe you're serving in a certain ministry, the kids' ministry, the youth, the men, the ladies. Hopefully this encourages you as it encouraged me. Chuck Smith, he says, as a general rule, it's in the third year that you begin to see fruit as a result of planting the word of God in the hearts of people. As Matthew 13, 8 says, the seeds that fall on good soil will bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some hundredfold. But that doesn't happen overnight. This can be rather discouraging when there are those who come in with a flash and with fire. Those who seem to generate an immediate crowd. People are thronging to see miracles, to watch fireworks, and here you are just faithfully plodding along. You can't see much development. You can't see much growth. And these other guys seem to have instant success. But as the Lord said to Daniel in Daniel 12 verse 3, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Chuck Smith continues with the quote. He says, on the 4th of July, it's fun to watch the fireworks, the sky rockets, the blazes of glory, and all the color filling the sky. Everybody's ooing and aahing, but it only lasts for a short time. Before you know it, it's just ashes. It's a big flash, and then it's all over. That's the way many ministries and pastors are like. Just a big flash and it's over. You have to determine which sky you want to shine in. Do you want to shine as a star forever and ever? Or do you want to be like a skyrocket with a sudden flash coming on the scene dramatically but with no staying power? I thought that was a great quote, a great encouragement to each and every one of us. Stay focused on the word of the Lord. Don't be worried about a big flash or garnering a huge crowd or being doing what's the, the shiniest thing or the brightest thing. Stay focused and plodding along, being faithful to be in God's word, to study God's word, to teach God's word. You're going through difficulty in your life? Hey, are you reading your Bible every day? You're in a new season in life? Hey, are you reading your Bible every day? You got a new kid? Hey, are you reading the Bible every day? New job? Hey, are you reading your Bible every day? Stay faithful to stay the course. Any good farmer, any good athlete, any good soldier, they're not doing many new things. They're just doing the same thing day in and day out, faithfully and with discipline. And that's what we need to do is just stay faithful to the word of God. 
Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And now we'll turn over to communion. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So we come to this great time of communion, where we can be reminded of Jesus' death, and sacrifice for us. How he took our punishment, he took our blame, he took our sin, past, present, and future, and he allowed God to pour out all his wrath and judgment upon him so that we could get this new covenant, so that we could get his grace, his mercy, and his love, so that we can come boldly to the throne of grace crying out for help in time of need. So that when we get to heaven, Jesus and God the Father, they don't see us and our sins. Instead, they see the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. We get to consider the pain and torture that he endured for us. The physical pain and torture. The spiritual pain and torture. Each of us can be reminded, maybe you're in that season right now, when you're deep in sin and just the spiritual darkness that it brings. And Jesus did not take just one person's spiritual darkness. He took upon the spiritual darkness of all of humanity. Beaten beyond human recognition. He suffered the death of an inmate. Of a murderer, of a killer, he suffered the worst death possible by the worst instrument of death possible in the crucifixion. And even before that, he was whipped over and over again. Even before that, beaten. Even before that, his beard ripped out. And he did all of this out of love for you and out of love and obedience to God the Father. God the Father and Jesus Christ is not a bad cop, good cop routine. God sent his only son into this world to die for us. It was God's plan just as much as it was Jesus' plan. Both of them love us beyond any love that we could ever imagine. 
And not only do we weep and mourn and take it with gravity and weight, but we also get to rejoice. Because as Jesus died and resurrected each of us, if we have died together with him, one day we will rise together with him. And we'll get to see him face to face. We'll each get to be there in heaven where every tear is wiped away. All pain is gone. All sickness is gone. All sin is gone. Our flesh and our temptations are gone for all of eternity. So we get to weep and we get to rejoice. And with all of this, what we need to do is worship the Lord and examine our own lives. As we look at God's word, as we hear God's word, as we've had God's word explained to us, now we look at our lives and say, God, is my life lined up with your word? Examine ourselves and say, God, is my life lined up with yours? And if it's not, confess your sins before him. Confess your sins before him. He is just and faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all sin and unrighteousness. So don't just not take of communion because you feel convicted or you've sinned once in your life. No, bring that before the blood of Jesus Christ. Confess your sins before him. If the person next to you is the person you sinned against, hey, ask for forgiveness even here and now. But may we worship the Lord together, may we pray together, and we'll take communion together. So the worship team, they'll come up. The pastors, they'll come up. They'll hand the communion elements to you. A little bit different tonight. Just go ahead and pray. And when you're ready, you take of the bread and you pray. And when you're ready, you can drink of the cup. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the blessing of being able to just focus in on how great your word is for us and for our lives and for our homes. And Lord, thank you for the blessing of being able to focus on your death and resurrection for us, Lord. To focus on this selfless love, Lord, that while we were still sinners, while we were still your enemies, God, you died for us, Lord. Thank you for this great feat of love, Lord. Just so much grace and so much mercy. Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand it perhaps a little bit deeper here tonight, Lord. Lord, help each of us to be those who have been forgiven much and because we've been forgiven of so much lord we love you and we love others so much more lord help us to be those who are meek help us to be those who mourn over our sins lord help us to be those who realize just how spiritually poor we are lord that apart from you answering our plea lord apart from you hearing our begging lord we would all be destined to hell for all of eternity lord Thank you for this gift of salvation, Lord. Thank you for so much mercy and grace, God. Lord, help each of us to not take it for granted. Lord, help each of us to not take this grace that has been bestowed upon us in vain. But Lord, help us to labor more abundantly. So Father, we just love you. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we would ask that you'd move here right now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.